And welcome in, everybody. We have a special training camp edition of the Niners Wire podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Madsen. Joining me is Niners Wire uh, managing editor Chris Biederman, along with contributors Rob Lauder and Jared Brown. Doing the podcast thing, the Niners report for training camp tomorrow, and uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, it's pretty exciting, right? I mean, it's they're actually playing football. There will be like pads on and everything. They're going to play real football. It seems like it seems like everything happens so fast. So the Super Bowl happens, and then it's pre-draft, and then the draft happens, and then it's free agency, and some things kind of trickle out during free agency or after free agency, and then everything just kind of slams to a halt. It's like yeah. July first hits, and it's all done. Yeah, after OTAs is really OTAs are usually the third week in June. And after that, it's just a total dead period until uh, until training camp. But we're done now, and uh, and we're going to be watching training camp Friday. I would expect the pads to come on um, probably Sunday, uh, maybe Saturday. But um, yeah, like the, the the thing is about the off season program that a lot of people don't realize there there are no pads in any of those practices. So you know we watch all these different practices. We probably watched I think seven during the off season program. And they're all padless. So, you know, people are going at half speed and, and it's really difficult to come away with with too much. Um, but now now that the pads are on and, and we get to see all of the practices um, for these first two weeks of training camp, we'll have a much better idea of what this team is, is shaping up like under Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. And some of these really some of these these competitions are going to come down to you know, physicality on the field. And that's one of the things that especially up till now. It's been really hard to see when you talk about some of the positions on the team, trying to sort out really who's going to play where along the defensive line, whether Eric Armstead's a legitimate Leo or not, who can play in this scheme in terms of a defensive back, being able to get on guys at the line of scrimmage and really jam guys with, with pads on, really get your body into, into people. The offensive line has, has a lot of movable parts that, you know, there's probably six or seven dudes that could conceivably win a starting job along this offensive line. And, and, you know, you look probably every spot besides left tackle, there's, you know, a mesh of guys that could fall into place. So having these pads on and finally being able to see a little bit more competitiveness, a little bit more of the physicality that's going to answer some of these questions, give us a little bit of clarity, especially moving into that that first week or two of preseason of, of what, at least how the depth chart is truly shaking out. Yeah, Rob, let me ask you, what what's one of the things that you're looking to look forward to watching and, and a question you're, you're looking to get answered during training camp? That's a good question. Um, it's I'm tough a journalist. To, it's, I know. It's, it's tough to say because, I mean, and if you don't know, I mean, I'm assuming a lot of our listeners also follow us on Twitter, but um, this is Jared and I's first training camp and actually being there and watching it and getting to so I'm, I'm, that's got to be the most, the thing I'm looking forward to most. But as far as roster questions go, um, I was just thinking about this as you guys were talking. And something that's kind of gone, um, didn't get a lot of, of airtime is the fact that there's no longer a, I can't remember the number for sure, whatever, it's 70 or 72. There's no longer that middle roster cut anymore. So it's from the moment the 49ers start training camp. Um, they essentially can be making these cuts at, at any pace. I, I don't know, you know, how how they're going to handle that. If they're going to want to do it, you know, all the way, um, much much closer to the 53-man roster point. But it's going to be interesting to see how the teams, every team across the NFL, handles kind of the fact that they don't have that deadline anymore. All the rosters just go from 90 to 53. So you know, there's plenty of people that teams will cut that teams do it early knowing that they could be re-signed with another roster so I think that's kind of just something that hit me right now is the fact that 
it'll be interesting to see how the roster plays out, knowing that there's not deadlines. You know, I don't know if that spurs less or more action, but I think that's one of the things I'm looking forward to the most is just seeing how the roster shapes and how it kind of gets, how quickly it gets whittled down to what we believe are the most heated battles for actual starting spots. And one of the things Shanahan said um, during one of his last press conferences is the fact that, you know, if you're cutting people that you believe are NFL caliber players that will go on to make another NFL roster, then you've got a good thing going. So it'll be interesting to see which which one of those cuts start coming out initially and kind of in, at what pace they start they start happening. Yeah, getting. I think that they they cut down to seventy six. I want to say from ninety to seventy six. Uh, I think before the final preseason game, uh, and then in the years in years past, and then after two days after that preseason game would be the final deadline to cut down to fifty three. They're getting rid of that cut down to seventy six, and all those cuts are going to happen at once. There are going to be forty seven cuts that happen at once in theory, uh, unless like Rob was mentioning that that they cut people beforehand, but it's, it's going to make for a really brutal Labor Day weekend in, in terms of people who have, to, who have to write about all these things. Yeah, another thing that I just thought about is, you know, how, how's it going to work around the NFL? Because, you know, if, if one team cuts a player that another team, especially the 49ers, who I think are still fairly high up on the waiver wire, I don't remember what their position is. Um, but I think it's second. I think it's a draft order. Yeah, so and and they haven't they haven't claimed anybody, so they they still have that position, you know. And if another surprise cut happens around the NFL and it's a player, you know, like I said, I think some cuts are going to happen early. If a team knows it wants to cut someone fairly early on, they'll do it early if they think they can make the NFL roster. So then you're also going to have teams like the 49ers who might be thinking about claiming somebody, cutting somebody early to make room for somebody they want to claim. So uh, it's that's just one thing that I think one of the many things on this roster that I think is going to be really interesting. Hey, I had a question for you guys about uh, when pads come on. Uh, how much do you think that's going to affect Reuben Foster? Because I know one of the big things with him was his shoulder and whether that would hold up. It sounds like he's healthy. But is that a concern for any of you guys, uh, that shoulder once once hitting starts? I mean, it's really hard to tell because, I mean, he fell to 31st for a reason. Right, and and you heard that report. Multiple teams, I think it was an ESPN report before the draft. Multiple teams said, you know, they think his shoulder is one hit away from requiring another surgery uh, and forcing him out of his rookie season. So, you know, there there are obviously some doctors before the draft who thought that his his shoulder was in a fragile place, and it, and the Forty ers are are putting off like they're not concerned about his shoulder. But we won't know how they really feel until we see, you know, Foster's workload in practice. And the fact that he missed the entire offseason program in terms of the full team drills, it would lead me to believe we're probably not going to see Reuben Foster going full bore in full team drills, maybe until the second or third week of training camp. Um, just because, I mean, if his shoulder is fine, if his shoulder is as good as the 49ers say it is, then that's my expectation going into it. I could be wrong. Um, but, I mean, the 49ers are, are approaching everything very with, with, with a very cautious, throughout this whole thing, like Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch being in their first year, those two guys are approaching it uh, like they're not going to do anything that will hurt the future because I think they have a pretty good idea that they're probably not going to contend this year or maybe even next year. So it's all about creating, you know, the, the atmosphere 
atmosphere, setting the foundation schematically, building a roster that you know you could you could have s- sustained success going forward with. So in terms of that, like if they think Ruben, if Ruben Foster takes a hit in training camp and his shoulder hurts, like they should probably shut him down. Um, so yeah, I think it's a good question, and we're not going to have that answer until we see what his workload is, um, because we don't get to see you know the MRIs on his shoulder. It's interesting how much I, I, at least I feel, the Niners' defense is going to kind of ride on that, because by all accounts, uh, Rob, I think you wrote today about just kind of how good uh, Reuben Foster was in college. By all accounts, he's a game changer on defense, and so if he's not there, I think that kind of drastically uh, decreases the the outlook for this for this defense this year. Well, I think the 49ers are in a decent spot in the fact that one of the first things that a lot of people said uh, when the 49ers drafted um, Reuben Foster, I wouldn't say a lot of people said it, but you know, the first thing they said was, okay, well, how does Malcolm Smith fit in? Because they just paid him a decent amount of money, which in, in a way, it, I think it's still, the two don't necessarily um, uh, conflict with one another because the 49ers, there's a good chance the 49ers are going to need Malcolm Smith. They might need him to start. They might not be comfortable enough with, you know, like I said, Reuben Foster could, knock on wood, uh, get hurt during training camp and realize his shoulder's not where it should be. Um, he might not be ready to start, or they might just be wanting to take it slower than than they need to. So, you know, and that's where Malcolm Smith comes in because I think we all kind of presume that uh, Foster and Smith, if Foster's healthy, are going to be competing for that Will linebacker role. So, you know, if, if Foster's shoulder is healthy and he blows it up, then, you know, Smith is a, an expensive but, re, you know, a really competent backup. But, you know, if they don't feel like that that's going to happen or it can't happen right away, then they've got Malcolm Smith to step in who had his most the most successful times of his career in Seattle under the exact same scheme. So I don't think the necess- I don't think the, the wheels necessarily fall off like it did last season when Bowman got hurt. Um, if Foster doesn't take the field, um, obviously I still think he's a, he's a pretty significant upgrade over Smith, but I think the defense would probably still be okay. Uh, in the, if, if they weren't ready to roll with him right away. Yeah. And if, if you listen to Robert Saleh, the defensive coordinator, um, and Kyle Shanahan talk about Malcolm Smith, it sounds like the 49ers are pretty comfortable with him working with the first team. And obviously he's getting paid like a starter. So I don't think there there's... The, the presence of Malcolm Smith, like Rob said, really allows the 49ers to take it as slow with Foster as they need to. So I, you know, I, I don't have the expectation like he's for sure going to be healthy and, and start 16 games next year. Ruben Foster, like I'm, I, I just think it's sort of unrealistic, and I think the 49ers, Kyle Shanahan, and John Lynch are, are smart enough to to understand that, you know, we're going to need Ruben Foster to be at his peak physical form in 2019. Um, you know, that's more important for us to get him peaking at that point in his career than him getting snaps in September as a rookie when we already know he's a pretty good player. Um, so if it, if his shoulder needs strengthening, if it's at any sort of fragile point right now, I just think the 49ers are going to, are going to sit on the situation and, and not force him into the lineup. And there's no need to, most, most successful teams run three linebackers out there anyways. I mean, the, the, the way the NFL has evolved in terms of passing offenses, you know, you look at teams like the Carolina Panthers that have Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, and Shaq Thompson that could all play linebacker as needed kind of rotate back and forth between who's the primary coverage linebacker who's the run support linebacker they can kind of do a little bit of all 
So the 49ers having three linebackers and it's, you know, th- what they, what we may believe to be three starting caliber linebackers is not a problem, especially after you look at what happened with the depth last year. And with Ruben Foster being on a rookie contract, you're essentially paying, you know, if you look at the aggregate for the linebacker group, you're paying a specific amount. And it really doesn't matter who gets on the field in this first year because they had the money to spend on Malcolm Smith. They made a good pick in Ruben Foster. And like you mentioned, if that becomes sort of the long play with their six-year extensions, there's no need to rush him on the field if if there's no if there's no obvious benefit. If you're just throwing him out there at the behest of the medical team or whatever it may be and say, hey, give this guy another couple of weeks to relax. There's no point to throw him out there if you've got Smith and he can do the job. He's comfortable playing that will off-ball linebacker spot. There's no need to rush Foster. So sticking with the front seven, uh, pro football focus ranked the 49ers front seven the worst in the league. Their defensive line is the worst in the league. Do you guys think that's still going to be true uh, going into training camp and, and coming out of training camp? I don't know. Um, I'd say I no. Think, I think it. I think we figure out pretty quickly that's not the case. Go ahead, Chris. I mean, I mean, it seems like that that was entirely reflective on last season. And yeah, I think the way last season went, the case is easy that the 49ers had the worst front seven in the league in 2016. Yeah. Um, but I don't see any way, assuming all these guys stay healthy, uh, within this scheme that they're going to be the worst front seven. I mean, they're going to be, you know, three first round picks rotating along the D line. Um, you know, if Elvis Doomerville's healthy, there's a really good chance he leads the team in sacks. Um, you know, Navarro Bowman, when he's healthy, he's proven to be one of the best linebackers in the in the league, and he's still really good in the against the run. And it'll be interesting to see how he transitions to the new scheme defending the pass because the 49ers are going to have a, a single safety deep, which means Eric Reed is going to be playing right behind Navarro Bowman. Um, but no, I mean, if these guys stay healthy, I think the 49ers' defense should at least be in the middle of the pack if all these guys develop like they're capable of, um, you know, if they develop earlier and than, than many expect, you know, I think Eric Armstead could be a pro bowler in two years, but if he realizes that that's kind of upside now, then maybe the 49ers are better. Um, the same with the Forrest Buckner, although I think Buckner's really close to being a pro bowl, all pro type player. Um, you know, Earl Mitchell's a solid nose tackle. I think, you know, you look at it and, and there's upside that maybe the 49ers can be in terms of just front seven, you know, they could be in the top half, you know, 12 to 15 or something like that. But um, there's just too much talent there, but they, they have to prove they can do it and stay healthy. Yeah, I think staying healthy, especially you mentioned Armstead. Has he been healthy at all at any point in his career? He was healthy. In he wasn't healthy. Season. But yeah, he you know, but then he came out and said that, that it's that's been affecting him since high school. So, I mean, injury report-wise, Armstead was healthy, but you know whether or not something was actually, you know, a shoulder was actually ailing him that whole time is kind of left unsaid. Yeah, he he only played a third of the snaps his rookie year, um, but you know we'll we'll see. I think I think they should they should be good enough. What um, there's a lot of talk in July of like you know surprise cuts like guys you might be surprised to see the team get rid of um and i think there are a few guys on the 49ers that would qualify in this list simply because like we don't know 
Kyle Shanahan and, and John Lynch, they don't really have tendencies when it comes to like building a team. Like the for us as people who follow the team closely this time of year, like you look at Trent Baalke and you know Jim Harbaugh, and you can and and you know their tendencies with what kind of players they like and what kind of roles they envision for people. And we're going into this training camp not knowing any of that. So you know there are guys, and I know there was that report um, about from the Ringer that said, you know, Navarro Bowman was on the trade block and the 49ers are trying to get rid of him. Um, I don't necessarily know that that's not true. I know Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch denied it immediately, um, but that might have been, you know, that that very well could have been PR spin. Um, Just because the same person, Mike Lombardi at the Ringer, reported a few days earlier that Vance McDonald was going to be traded or was trying to get traded. The 49ers were trying to trade Vance McDonald as I learned how to speak English. Um, and the 49ers confirmed that. So, you know, like there really could be any player, any big contract that, you know, they, they could move these guys. They could move them with an eye towards the future. They could trade Joe Staley for draft picks. Um, same with Navarro Bowman if, if a team maybe has an injury. I mean, are, are there guys you guys are looking at that you think – you know, would, there are some starters who would be a surprise cut, but but think it's a possibility. Yeah, if I had to pick anybody that I think might be a surprise cut, I'd say Carlos Hyde. I think more it's more likely that they explore trade options for him, mainly because he's still on that rookie contract. So there's not necessarily a cap reason to cut him yet, but I could see them being really intrigued. Not so much with Tim Hightower and Joe Williams. I think those two guys are safe. But if Matt Breda has a really impressive camp, and they go, this is just a guy we can't even let sit on the practice squad because there's a good chance the team's going to sign him. I could see them saying, let's move Hyde, let's cut Hyde, let's do something with Hyde, knowing he's likely not in our long-term plans. Whereas Breda has you know, an intriguing skill set that might, that might be able to hang around. I think he's going to probably get a ton of special teams looks and probably get some of, some of the you know second-half game carries that we're all going to get really excited about. So I think... A lot of people think that this competition comes down to Hyde versus Williams, and I don't think that's the case because I think Williams is safe. I think it's Breda versus Hyde, uh, and with Hyde possibly losing that battle to either get shipped out or cut and and shake up sort of that that running back depth chart moving into the season. Yeah, and that's interesting because Breda might be the most explosive player on the roster. Like he's really fast, um, and it shows up in practice for sure. The question is. Obviously, like it'll show up in the off-season program when there aren't pads on, and we're going to have to see how it translates. Um, because you know, Kyle Shanahan likes speed; he likes guys who can separate. Um, Brita seems like he's that type of athlete, and it'll definitely be interesting to see. And and I think that t- talking about Hyde kind of hits on a broader point too. Like the 49ers have a lot of good players, pretty good players, some starters who are entering contract years or are eligible for extensions. And there's been no word on extensions for any of these guys. Like Jimmy Ward, the Niners picked up his fifth-year option for next year, but he could be a candidate for a new contract. Same with Eric Reed, who's on the last year of his new of his contract. Um, Aaron Lynch is another guy. Ahmad Brooks, I think, is up after this year. Um, I know he's older, but I mean, it, it sort of speaks to the fact that the the Niners are entering this thing with a completely open 
like a blank canvas when it comes to deciding, you know, what the what this team is going to look like in 2018 when it's going to be closer t- towards competing, hopefully for them. So, you know, th- this training camp is going to be the first real impression that a lot of these players get to make in terms of how productive they're going to be um, and how valuable they'd be getting their second contracts going forward. Because there are a lot of guys on this team that, you know, were drafted by Trent Baalke, um, that the 49ers might not be super eager to keep around on, on the same type of money they would get on the open market. Uh, I think, I think another interesting kind of, and, and like Jared said, I'm not quite sure it's a, it's a cut, but it it very well could be a trade. And this was just, as I was writing our uh, positional previews is uh, just Quisky Tart, you know, and he's, he's somebody who's had a decent amount of starting experience that teams could look at if they were interested, but he's also in a really weird spot as far as, uh, just being kind of stuck behind Eric Reed and Jimmy Ward. And uh, even uh, coordinator Robert Saleh said that um, he thought that Tart was, was a really talented player and was kind of going to succeed wherever you put him. Now, the interesting thing is, and this kind of factors into Eric Reed a little bit, is if, and in kind of a little bit of shout out to Jared here, he wrote a piece a long time ago saying that Tart should change positions and kind of moved that hybrid linebacker role because he had the kind of perfect frame and ability for it. And, you know, maybe it goes a different way that the 49ers could even either see Tart as a good trade candidate with time left on his contract and a rookie deal that a, that a team might be intrigued with, or they see him as somebody that they want to go with at strong safety and turn, you know, Eric Reed turns into the surprising cut. You know, it's, it's, I'm not sure which way that would fall, but I think that uh, Reed and Tart are both really talented players, and one of them is going to get stuck. I assume it's going to be Eric Reed um, who's starting, so that would leave Tart kind of in the background as a backup. He'd be a really good backup to have, and there's really nothing that would force the 49ers to trade him. It would be just a matter of another team being interested in him enough to kind of tempt them out of that. But I think Tart's an interesting example of just a starting player that's going to be stuck kind of behind starters for for a while unless they go with some interesting sub packages and and get him a little bit of time. Is there any kind of quarterback competition you guys think in camp or is it Brian Hoyer's job no matter what? The quarterback competition is probably should be Hoyer versus injury and then the rest of it is pretty clear cut I think. Like if Hoyer's healthy he's the guy basically. I mean, What's I don't know. The, if, I don't know if you uh, guys think differently, but nope, I agree. Okay. So what's the what's the what's the highest? What's his max this year? What's his what's the word I'm looking for, guys? Help me out here. His ceiling. His what's ceiling. His ceiling. Yes, I'm literally looking at my ceiling while I'm saying this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's his What's his performance ceiling this year? Um, in terms of like overall production he i mean the last two years he's been pretty good in terms of his numbers i think he's thrown 25 touchdowns and seven interceptions in his last 17 games um and he's averaged i want to say 240 yards a game or something like that um you know those are numbers the niners would take i don't know if they they're going to have the weapons to to get Hoyer to those numbers, but it could just be Kyle Shanahan scheming guys open and those you know the, the short shifty receivers being able to separate enough um, that it makes things easier for Hoyer. Really, for me, what what's going to determine the success for Hoyer is how well the 49ers run the ball, because um, I envision them based on what I saw in practice and 
I think they're going to be a team that's going to be among the lead league leaders in, in, you know, how often they run, um, you know, the percentage of plays they run, that's going to set up the passing game. So they're going to, they're going to bite team, you know, invite teams in to, to, to stop the run and then try to beat them over the top in general. Um, and I think they're going to stretch the defense vertically with the passing game and horizontally, you know, with the running game, with the outside zone scheme. If Hoyer's going to be good, it's, it's going to be a product of the 49ers running the ball well. I don't see a scenario where the 49ers are, are unable to run the ball and Hoyer's effective. I think it also comes down to how, quite frankly, how well Marquise Goodwin plays this year. <clears throat> because at least in Atlanta last year with, with Shanahan's offense and Matt Ryan, I mean, they have Julio Jones, who is you know, one of the best wide receivers in the league and obviously a fantastic downfield threat. So if you're looking at, you know, putting up the kind of yards that Shanahan's offense could, you need a viable downfield threat for, you know, explosive home run plays. Otherwise, you're just talking about, you know, guys kind of eating in the slot. But then, like Chris said, going back to more of a featured rushing attack that that matriculates down the field a little bit, a little at a slower pace, um, and maybe a little bit more consistency, but not quite as explosive as some of those deep passing plays. I would say, in my estimation, I think if Hoyer plays the full season, I don't see any reason that he can't have around 3,800 yards, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to 25 touchdowns. And if they can keep it under 10 interceptions, then that's a fantastic season. And I would say, if if he plays that well, that's somebody that you look at maybe rolling with again next year as your starter, regardless of uh, who comes out uh, of the draft assuming they pass on Kirk Cousins. If he's available. If he's available. Should we talk about Cousins? Let's talk about Cousins a little bit. Because that's that's been one of the the biggest stories of the offseason. And some 49ers fans, or depending on how you feel about Kirk Cousins, want to hear it or don't. I mean, the truth is there's there's a very strong possibility that if Kirk Cousins reaches unrestricted free agency next year, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch are going to make a run at him. And if that's the case there's a good chance Cousins becomes one of the highest paid players of all time. Um, so that's a very real scenario that could be on the horizon. What could thwart that, and really the only thing in my mind that I think would thwart that, would be Washington giving Cousins the franchise tag for a third straight year and paying him $34 million. And I know that sounds crazy to pay Kirk Cousins $10 million more than the than typically the highest paid quarterback has ever been. And I think Aaron Rodgers is going to make like 22 or 24 million, something like that next year to pay Kirk cousins. 34 is crazy in that context. It is crazy, but in the context of cousin salary in relation to how much salary cap space it's, uh, it's occupying. And this was actually a point brought up by Grant Cohn earlier this week, or it might've been last week. Um, but he pointed out like, with the salary cap going up, the the court the 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 percentage of the pie that the quarterback takes isn't as crazy as it would seem when you first look at that thirty four million dollar figure. So there's a good possibility that that Washington um, that Washington does pay him. We'll see if they're smart enough to do that or you know what they decide to do. Um, but yeah, so that that's going to be an interesting thing that's that's going to be talked about all season, and obviously the 49ers pay cousins, um, and that'll be that'll be something that um, will get read and written a lot about 
during the season. But I'm I'm curious. Like I I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't watched every single Kirk Cousins game. Um, I know I know what his <laughs> reputation is. Um, I know some people are higher on him than others, but. Just curious what you guys think of the idea of Kirk Cousins coming to the 49ers. He'd be, he would be probably the best quarterback, consistently good quarterback they've had since Steve Young. Is that, is that too far to say? And I no, I don't Garcia, think so. Because I know Jeff Garcia had a couple of good years, but I mean, Kirk Cousins has been very good for a couple of years now. Tim Rattay. <laughs> I don't know how I overlooked that. But yeah, no, I mean, we're, I, I mean, it, I don't want to. I, I mean, that's gonna. I, I'm sure some people listening will, will turn this off at that, at the idea of that. But the fact is, is Kirk Cousins has been very good. Sure, he has flaws in his game, but uh, who doesn't? Um, he's also not a finished product. Yeah, like he's it, he's tw- he's 29 or 30. He'll be he'll be 30, I think, when he hits free agency. Like quarterbacks typically have their best quarterbacks at the peak of their prime are like. 32, 33, a lot of the best quarterbacks kind of ride that trajectory. So Cousins in his early 30s might be significantly better than Cousins is right now. And if Cousins is an offense built for him, which the 49ers look like they're doing, uh, this this is a scenario that could make sense, I think. And I, I think you're right that Cousins would be the best 49ers quarterback since Steve Young, but that's also a, a significant indictment on the quarterbacks that they've had. Um, what but I, I will say, I will say Colin Kaepernick was really good in 2012 and 2015. He was outstanding. He was outstanding. What I would say is I'm interested to see how this year plays out because the Washington Redskins lost Deshaun Jackson. He is now in Tampa Bay. So there's your, your deep threat receiver, your explosive receiver who made some fantastic uh, adjustments on some of Kirk Cousins' deep throws uh, and, and made him look good on some plays that he didn't have a, a, a particularly strong throw. And then second, they also lost Sean McVay, who's now the head coach of the Los Angeles Rams and was the OC and is young and is probably second to Kyle Shanahan in terms of being valued as a young, bright offensive mind. Obviously, Josh McDaniels in New England is impressive, but he's a little bit more uh, established than those two were. So I think Sands, McVay, and Jackson. And Garcon. So if, if Kirk Cousins can do the same thing or even close to what he did last year, then, then he's backed up some of these claims that he's worth hitting the market as a really valuable quarterback the team should go after. And the 49ers should be one of them. Cousins, in his first year as a starter in 2015, led the NFL in completion percentage. And then in his second year as a starter, he backed it up by throwing for 4,900 yards. So I know those are numbers and like people aren't into box score stat- scouting, but like the the numbers don't lie. Like they say he is a capable quarterback. You can talk about in game yeah. situations and you know playing not being clutch late in games, whatever. Like to to not look at the potential of what he could do in in this offense purely because you're convinced he's not gonna he's not going to get better in those scenarios as he gains more experience, then I think that's, that's short-sighted to think, to look at Kirk Cousins and say, Oh, he's a finished product. You know, he's only going to get worse from here. I I think you, you could be missing out on something. And if the Niners don't pay him, then he's going to get paid by somebody else. Um, And a lot of people want to talk about the the 2018 quarterback class. Like we don't know that that's going to be good yet. You know, the, the, it, it remains to be seen. A lot can change between now and then. 
Um, and we just don't know with quarterbacks because so few quarterbacks taken in the first round turn out to be franchise type players that you can win a Super Bowl with. So there's there's a more realistic chance, given where he is in his development, that you become a contending team with somebody like Kirk Cousins than taking a crapshoot with a with with a quarterback in the first round in, in next year's drafts. I think there's a lot to be said about the amount of an upgrade Cousins would present to the 49ers currently. Now, there's obviously what Kyle said earlier and the fact that he would just be one of the best quarterbacks the 49ers have ever had. And then there's the fact that you all of a sudden have a team that went from 2-14 and 14 last year to two years later who will realistically be in the conversation, can they make the playoffs? They've all of a sudden got a quarterback that has experience with the head coach that the head coach clearly wants, and they already have a relationship, which goes a long way in the, in the NFL. And I think another thing that kind of goes unsaid is the 49ers have a ridiculous amount of cap room. Signing Cousins to $25, $26 million a year is, I wouldn't say a drop in the bucket, obviously, but the team could sign Cousins to that amount of money and still have almost 40 to $50 million in cap space. So it's, it's, it doesn't cripple the team by any means. And then you have the 49ers, by way of John Lynch's uh, magic this year, are going to have six picks in the first three rounds next year. If, you manage to, if they manage to land Cousins and still have six picks in the first three rounds, um, you're talking about just a really substantial upgrade as a whole. The team gets dramatically better by adding Cousins, adding that many solid rookies, and then all these young players have taken another step forward in Shanahan's scheme. So I think while a rookie quarterback is also a good move if they're in a position to get one, you also have to work through the process of a rookie quarterback because you don't really expect him to be uh, solid right out of the gate. There's a big transitioning period there, and he might not even start. Even if they took him top five, the team might decide to roll with Hoyer. So I think one of the things that could be said with Cousins is how – the, how dramatically better the team gets right away. And Shanahan and Lynch can ride that for their six years that they're with the team together, you know, which would move the team forward, might even earn them another contract. So I, I think that the, the amount of, I wouldn't say it's perfect, but Shannon, or, uh, Cousins fits right in there with everything the team wants to do. So, you know, if, if they get lucky and he becomes available, uh, I, I don't see them being outbid by anybody else. And Cousins would be depending on how you feel about Russell Wilson the the at least one of the best two quarterbacks in the division and if you could win your division you can make a run in the playoffs like that's how the NFL works so you know obviously i don't think cousins can carry a team that's you know that's deficient on defense like the redskins defense has been awful the last couple of years and washington hasn't been that good and then people will tell you that Cousins isn't any good because Washington hasn't been any good. And it's like, okay, well, you know, if you if they would have had a defense, maybe Cousins wins a couple playoff games. And then we're talking about him like a completely different guy worth all this money. Um, so I, I, I think it's it's too soon to, you know, close the book on the idea of Cousins or, or I think at least my opinion going forward is going to be fluid when I'm, when, you know, I'm going to watch cousins very closely this year because I, I I haven't really gotten to know him as a player. Um, but I'm, I'm very open to the idea of, of, of cousins as not a finished product at this point. And the thing with, the thing with cousins too, is 
people people complain about the kind of money that he's going to get paid, but I, I mean that's just the going rate for quarterbacks now. For a quarterback that can give you any chance to win games, there's one Tom Brady and one Aaron Rodgers, and then you're just you're not going to just find those guys. And so if you think Kirk, Kirk Cousins can win you games, I mean go look at go look at Matt Ryan before Kyle Shanahan showed up. And he took, like you were saying, Chris, he took a step up. He he elevated himself from a good quarterback to an MVP caliber quarterback once Shanahan got there. And I think that's that's so much. That's a that's such a better option than spending the fourth overall pick on a quarterback. Agreed. I think we're all in agreement. I, I think so too. Well, and I think one of the things too okay. is that people always make a big deal of the contracts, and it's not what is it going to be a season or two? Before, you know, saying someone's the highest paid player in the league is so temporary now. Like he, Kirk Cousins might be the highest paid quarterback for a season, and then somebody else gets paid, and then somebody else gets paid, and somebody else gets paid, and before you know it, he's the fifth highest right. paid quarterback. So it's just it's just not something worth getting upset over when it's inevitable. Whether you know that, that's just what's going to happen, and like Kyle said, a, a quarterback that can win you games. Uh, is so incredibly valuable in this league. It's it's just not something you you pass up. Yeah, and one reason why Washington might not might be okay with, with with letting Cousins go next year if they decide not to pay him. Like Drew Brees could be a free agent next year. Um, Matthew Stafford could be a free agent next year. So there are going to be other quarterbacks on the market that would presumably be cheaper than Cousins on the franchise tag. And if Cousins isn't given the franchise tag. Um, then he's then he's fair game. So it it it'll definitely be interesting to see and be a, a major subplot this season. I have kind of a a fun question. Who do you guys think? I want to I want an answer from each of you. Who's your pick for the Marcus Rush Award? The guy that kind of tears up camp and preseason, uh, but doesn't make the roster. There are a few. This is a good question, though. I'm like looking I'm gonna at the go roster first. right now. I, I, Someone else go first. Yeah, All right, I'll go first. I'm going to say Vance McDonald. You think are Vance you, McDonald tears it up in your preseason and then, and I then think, doesn't I make think, the team? I think he's going to tear it up as like the only half-decent established um, blocking slash receiving tight end. Like could do a little bit of both. I don't know necessarily that he's going to have a ton of receptions. But I think people are going to watch Vance McDonald and go, whoa, this guy could really stick. And then he doesn't stick. And people are going to go, what the hell is happening? I think wow, I, meant, did not, I, think that I did was not a surprise that, cut sure. question. That's, 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 I'm going to roll Vance here. <laughs> wow. That, I, I think you're being sarcastic. But I mean, who, looking at the roster, who else could play well enough? I mean, there's there's so many. If Matt Breda plays well, and people get all excited, there's no there's no way he's going, right? I mean, all right, well, so so yeah. like, who would you? I guess who who could play well enough, and simultaneously they'd still go no. I think, like, I think maybe, I'm going to go with I'm going to go with Matt. Breda. Oh, okay. I'm going to go with Matt Breda. That's who I'm going to go with because I oh, think that, snap because I think so wait, that so it's a guy yeah. hold on hold on hold on so we're talking about a guy that gets cut that like plays well but gets cut or a guy that fans fall in love with because he plays well like what's what's the uh what's the criteria plays here well for the, and gets okay. cut is the criteria plays yeah, like, well you know, and how, you know cut. how people okay. were clamoring for Marcus Rush basically okay. all of last season right. nobody's gonna be clamoring for Vance McDonald I'm sorry fair fair okay <laughs> all right because it 
So with with updated criteria, I think I'd like to amend my McDonald's <laughs> answer. <laughs> there's not a no, whole I lot think, of options, though. There's there's not a whole. I lot think, of options. I'm I'm gonna change then, and I'm gonna say DeAndre Smelter. Ooh, I like. Ooh, that. I like that. I, I just don't think he's gonna show out and then get cut. I just think you know that frame is kind of exciting. The coaches <laughs> will will you know he's gonna be he's gonna go against probably the third stringers. So he's going to kind of have a leg up, you know, being, being a, a guy with some experience. So I think he'll kind of shine against the backups. People get a little excited and then it's all for naught. Well, I think that makes okay. sense too, because the 40, you know, we've looked at the 49ers roster and made our 53 man projections and stuff like that. And I think it's going to, it's going to, uh, it's going to take quite a performance to get the 49ers to keep six receivers. They might keep five so I think that's a good that's a good choice in the fact that he could chill really well, but just not be good enough to convince them to to, to lose someone elsewhere. Yeah, I think so. I had someone in mind that I thought was going to make the team, like he was going to show out like Marcus Rush and be like the MVP of the second half of preseason games, which doesn't mean anything. But I think Lorenzo Jerome, the undrafted safety, is going to be the dude that like leads leads the preseason in interceptions because he's going to be playing in the fourth quarter of games just against some god-awful quarterbacks. And he's good enough instinctually to, to get interceptions, and those are you know such a splashy stat, and people will be so excited about it. I think he's going to be the guy that fans get irrationally excited about. Um, but I don't know, like, maybe Cole Hicatini? Like, could he be the guy? If Vance McDonald plays well and the 49ers are like, well... If we'd rather keep McDonald and not eat three and a half million of dead money, you know, maybe Cole Hicatini's that guy, and he plays really well with the reserves and catches a bunch of touchdowns, um, and ends up not making it. I think he will make it, but yeah, I think it's a, trying to figure out who's a guy that's going to like impress and then get cut is is an interesting conversation because the 49ers roster isn't really all that good. Yeah, so I'm gonna go back and, like I was saying earlier, trying to, I was I was trying to cut off the hailstorm that was going after Jared and his initial Vance McDonald pick because by going with, with, with <laughs> I deserved Breda, it, I deserved yeah, it. <laughs> so I was trying to cut all that off by saying, no, no, I'm gonna pick Breda. You know, pay attention to me. But the yeah, I would I would go with Matt Breda in the fact that he seems like he's building up quite a bit of steam with the fan base. Um, you know, I always try and fall back on the idea that. He's undrafted, and he went undrafted for a reason. So you kind of fall back on that's not the an, the only answer, but he's still an undrafted running back in a pretty crowded depth chart. So, you know, the 49ers also gave up a fourth round pick next year um, to trade for Capri Bibbs. So, and and that that kind of was a wash because they gained a fifth rounder and they used that fifth rounder to take Joe Williams. But at the same time, you know, they gave up a, a an early day three pick to to get a. To get Capri Bibbs, so I think that Breda is going to have to really uh, show up if they want to, if he wants to give them something to think about in terms of taking him over somebody like Bibbs. So I think that he's a good candidate for somebody that's going to play really well in the preseason against second, third stringers, and then when he doesn't make the roster, and I'm not saying that's a guarantee, but when he doesn't make the roster, you're going to see plenty of uh, outcry. Guys, really I have I have some serious breaking news. Hold on, Jared. Before we get going, okay. um, really important breaking news. Uh, from the Jamaica-United States Gold Cup final playing at Levi Stadium, um, some grass is coming up. So oh, I just thought I'd let Levi, you guys At know, Levi's? Yeah, there are divots in the Impossible. field. No! I just thought we should let everybody know, um, you know, just keep in the back of our mind while, while we finish up this podcast. 
uh, and you know, obviously the grass is such an important issue that we we stay conscious of of what's happening on the field at Levi's in July. <laughs> well, it's I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's it looks like a huge chunk of grass, but I I don't know. I I don't know. I I can't comment on the grass. How really quickly piggybacking on what what Rob said about Matt Breda, how <laughs> much of a lock do we think do we think Tim Hightower is? Like is he is he set? I mean, is he well, he only got a one-year I mean, deal, right? So I don't think he's set. Uh, yeah, he, so if Breda plays well, could he shuffle Hightower out? Absolutely. Maybe. I, I, I look at Hightower as the third down back. Okay. And he, like, was, I think, he was really, really good last year in, in replacement of, and I can't think of his name, uh, Ingram for the Saints. He was, you know, yeah. I, I think I had, a, had him on my fantasy roster for a few weeks, and he did really, really well, which which that's all it really matters is my fantasy roster. But, you know, I think he's a strong, and he's and he's the, the most veteran guy there. So I think, I don't think he's set by any means, but I think the team would like to keep him around. Yeah, I, to, I think he's he's the guy who... You know, is the receiver out of the backfield on obvious passing downs, and he can pass protect a little bit. Um, I don't. I think it would be, you know, if if Carlos Hyde took a drive off, for example, like I think Joe Williams would be the guy on first and second down, and then Hightower on third down. Um, that's sort of how I see it playing out. Because you know, I, I think that's probably the hardest part of the game as a running back. You know, when you're a rookie to adjust to is is like pass protection. Um, timing and passing plays, all of those things. I, and I think having a veteran in that third down role would probably be the best way to go, given how good Hightower's been as a receiving back in, in his in his past. As training camp begins, a couple battles I'm looking at. No, just I think one, the tight Jared, end not group, a couple. The tight end group. Well, the tight end group itself is, is right, is a battle. I mean, this we're talking battle royale, you know, one right out. I mean, who... I think Kittle might be the only one that's guaranteed a job. Who besides? So you're looking at probably four or five guys that that are all sort of battling for two, maybe three, maybe three spots. I highly doubt they keep four tight ends, especially with Juice on the roster. I'm not even gonna try and what use check, right? Yeah, use uh, check. Did I nail that? See, that's what you do. You undersell, over deliver. <laughs> uh, so I think the tight end group as a whole. That and I don't know how that's gonna shake out aside from Kittle. Yeah, I'm looking to yeah, see looking. what happens at pass rusher. Like, there's a bunch of guys, and it's really unknown how they're all going to fit. Um, you know, Tank Carradine, Eli Harold, Aaron Lynch. Um, I think Ahmad Brooks is is pretty solidified. Dakota Watson. Uh, you know, I think Watson is the guy that they would keep, f- mostly for special teams purposes only. But then, you know, do you keep him at the expense of? having another potential pass rusher. Like I think I think Harold is gonna be a really interesting guy because the 49ers drafted Peter Taumoe Penu. Um Bless you, well done. Good thank for you. you, man. You just nailed that. Dude, I've I've written it so many times that like it's it's just easy at this I point. Had, I, I have to say it's slowly surrendered though. to the land of Peter T. Like I wasn't even Peter trying. T. Right. Well that I so so <laughs> back to my point, like there's I, I don't think there's any way that Eli Harold, Peter T, Aaron Lynch, Tank Carradine, you know, Dakota Watson, like not all these guys can make the team. Um, there's probably going to be three or four of those guys that do, and, they, and they're all very different. So I'm curious to see how they mix and match that group. 
um, because how the 49ers rush the passer is going to go a long way toward determining how good the defense is this year. I think I'm going to have to go with um, fullback, right? I, I, I think that Juszczyk should definitely feel like uh, his job is in jeopardy. No, I'm going with cornerback for sure. Um, I think that Rashard Robinson is pretty locked in to his starting spot. He just seems tailor-made for, for everything this defense is trying to be. And then you have uh, Dante Johnson, uh, Kella Witherspoon, their third-round pick this year. Um, Keith Reeser, who has been getting some some first-team reps during the offseason program. Uh, a decent amount of competition, two or three guys that are competing for the spot opposite Robinson. And then you also have Will Redmond and Quan Williams uh, competing for uh, the nickel role. So, you know, for two out of the three starting spots to be an open competition uh, seems, like, seems like a good candidate to me. And it's going to be an interesting to watch it play out because – the defense that they're running is so, you know, specific. I wouldn't say it's specific. It doesn't require a certain kind of type of cornerback. But Seattle, you know, coined the uh, the concept of having these two big physical press corners that you know disrupt routes on the on the perimeter um, with a single high safety. So I'm 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 really looking forward to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I'm gonna I'm gonna take it a real sexy direction and talk about the interior of the offensive line. Um, because no position throughout the offseason program was really more fluid, particularly with the starters than the offensive line. Um, and I think both guard spots and center are wide open. Uh, I think Jeremy Zuda, the guy they got for, in the trade uh, with the Ravens early in the spring, I think he's probably the favorite to start just because he, he was, you know, he's familiar with a similar scheme and he was an alternate for the Pro Bowl last year with Baltimore. Um, but he also could play one of the guard spots, which, which could allow Daniel Kilgore to, to hold on to his starting role at center. Or, you know, maybe it's Tim Barnes who started a bunch of games the last few years for the Rams. Um, and Brandon Fusco is another former starter with the Vikings who's played a lot the last few years, um, and has gotten a lot of work with the starters. So, I mean, really, you know, I don't. I don't think Zane Beatles is safe at all. Even Josh Garnett. I know he has. You know, he's a first round pick entering year two, but I don't think he's a lock. Like I think there's a reasonable chance that he doesn't make the team. Like if if Josh Garnett doesn't win a starting job out of training camp this year, you know, he you're paying him a lot of money as a first round pick. Like the 49ers might decide just to cut bait and and keep one of these guys that they signed this off season because, you know, typically how these things go is. The guys that the new front office brings in when when you know fr- when front offices turn over like the 49ers have this offseason, the advantage goes to the to, to those new guys, not the incumbents. So, um, you know, as promising as Josh Garnett was as a as a gap scheme um, power blocker at Stanford, it, it very much remains to be seen if if he's a good fit for the offense, and he's got to get significantly better as a pass protector. Um, where he wasn't very good at all as a rookie last year. So, um, yeah, the the offensive line. I know it's it's not the sexiest pick, but if the 49ers are going to do anything offensively, it all starts up front. Um, and the offensive line simply wasn't all that good last year. I'm super interested to see how the running back depth chart shakes out because I'm a big supporter of Carlos Hyde, but I also see the reasons why the team might be looking to move on at that position. So that's something that, that I'm very interested to see work out, especially with how effectively 
Kyle Shanahan has used running backs in his uh, over the course of his career. So I think that's going to be something that is is not only kind of a, a fierce battle, but something that could wind up being a major playing a major role in this team's success uh, over the next couple of years. Yeah, there, I, it, there could be a scenario where the rookie that has the biggest impact on the 49ers this year is Joe Williams. I mean, I think I, I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, Solomon Thomas isn't signed yet. Um, you know, I'm assuming that he's going to get a deal done before training camp so he doesn't miss any practice time because he didn't participate in the offseason program at all. Um, and defensive linemen... You know, the 49ers are pretty loaded along the defensive line, and they're not going to need him to play a ton of snaps, and he's going to have to earn those. So, you know, does Akella Witherspoon win a starting spot? I mean, that remains to be seen. We don't really know. Um, Reuben Foster, obviously, we talked about his shoulder stuff. Like, Joe Williams at running back could easily be the 49ers' leading rusher, particularly if the team falls out of love with Hyde and decides to move on this offseason. Um so yeah, I, I I totally agree with Kyle. I think there's there's a, a strong possibility that the running back depth chart is not what people think it is, um, and I think Joe Williams could be the guy. When we look back at this draft class, we'll say, wow, he was he was a great fit for for what Kyle Shanahan wanted to do, and they and they knew what they were doing when they picked him because now he's you know a 1,200 yard back and a guy people are talking about next year as a, as like a first round fantasy pick. We uh, that does that leave us in a good spot? We're in a good spot. spot. Everybody good? Everybody feel good about uh, reporting tomorrow? Stoked. Juiced. Excellent. Excellent. All right, fellas. Hey, this has been uh, this has been the Niners Wire podcast. I've been Kyle Madsen. They've been Jared Brown, Rob Louder, and our managing editor Chris Biederman. Uh, you can find us at NinersWire.com. You can find Chris on Twitter at Chris Biederman. You can find Jared Brown at Jared Brown underscore. And you can find Rob Louder at Rob underscore Louder. And you can find me at Kyle A. Madsen. We're all wonderful tweeters, so make sure to follow us there. And like I said, make sure to follow all your latest Niners news and updates from training camp uh, at NinersWire.com. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>